0: Hello everyone, my name is Sharzad. Welcome back to Not My Circle, a conversation series where I talk to people who aren't in my normal circle. Today I have an awesome guest, her name is Amelia. She is a death doula. What is a death doula, you might be wondering? Well, just keep watching or listening and you'll find out. She's awesome, enjoy. Hi Amelia. Hi. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Good,
1: good, so what did you have for breakfast today? Um, today I had a lot of water and a tangerine and a bagel. Okay, all right, get it. I don't now, drink coffee, so I have to do like a lot of food in the morning.
0: Well, uh, why don't you drink coffee? I mean, I don't drink that much coffee either, but people are always shooketh when I tell them I'm not a caffeine <laughs> person.
1: Um, Caffeine just gives me anxiety. I don't really like it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I still drink a little
0: bit because I, I realize I like something like warm in the morning yeah. and it's just really easy and I like the smell of it. I- But I usually get like through half a cup and I'm like, "Eh, I'm good doing this. (laughs) Totally. Um, So you are a death doula. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Let's explain first in your words what a death doula is, what you do. Go for it.
1: So death doula has a lot of different names. Actually, Um, you can go by death worker. I normally use end of life doula for myself just because death can be a little bit. Scary for some people, if they see that term. Um, a lot of people use death companion, um, especially it just depends on what you sort of feel fits you the best. Doula kind of comes with a really feminine connotation normally. So sort of it's, it's what a, whatever people feel fits them. Um, it's really similar to a birth doula in a lot of ways. We are there to be support for somebody as they're reaching the end of their life. And it's kind of broad in the sense that like everybody's offerings are a little different. Everybody's services can be a little bit different. Um, it's, it's really a, an open playing field as far as what you are able to give and offer to the community as a death dealer. What do you specifically
0: like to give an offer?
1: So for myself, I really, it always sounds so weird, but I enjoy spending time with people Um, towards the end of their lives. So while they know that they're actively passing, I specifically offer services that will sort of prep you for that experience. So um, advanced directive planning, home funeral guidance. um, There's quite a bit of prep that goes into being ready for your death. And a lot of the time being prepared for your death can also help with the anxiety that comes with it too. Um, and any kind of like fears you have around what you might be leaving behind for the people that you're with. So I do a lot of the death prep work. Then While you're dying, I'll sit with you. I'll sit with your family, um, crafts, music. I bring a lot of like activities into the space. And then after you're gone, I'll even work with your family a little bit or your loved ones or care team, whoever it was that supported you to make sure that they're grieving. Okay. That they have the support they need afterwards too. And that your stuff is being handled properly and the way that you wanted it to be handled. I want to touch back to a lot of
0: the things you just talked about, but I also really want to know what got you specifically into this line of work.
1: So a long time ago, it was like 2015. um, I had just graduated high school the year before and my sister actually needed a heart surgery So we went and stayed with her at the hospital. I did at least for a few months and it was like off and on there at her place. And I was her caregiver for the most part, Um, just a companion. But I saw a lot of life happening in the hospital and I really enjoyed it, especially in the area she was in. She was in the cardiac unit. So that's mostly elderly people. Um, She was the youngest one there. She was 26 at the time and, she was the youngest one there. So I see, I saw that she had the most support in comparison to a lot of people that seemed to be near the end of their lives, where she was just kind of there temporarily. And um, right after that, I moved back home for a little bit. And the first job that I got offered was actually at a care facility, like a little group home. And um, right then, I mean, I was really like thrown into it at that point because that care facility just needed a lot of support. And they kind of allowed us to do things that were a little bit out of our, probably out of like what we should have been doing for sure. There was <laughs>
0: above the pay grade. So care yeah. facility, was it like a convalescent home where people are getting towards the end of their life and you were yeah. there to sort of, help? okay. Yeah. This one was specifically for like the end of your life. Okay. So you go there. So you're young. You said after high school, you're like 18, 19, 20 or something. Yeah, I'm 25 now. Okay. So yeah. You're super young. So you start this world, you start in this world of care, end of life care. And what what are the things that made you really interested in it? I know you mentioned your sister had such a big support team and did you feel like because she was young, she had support and the older community just didn't have support and you wanted to sort of be part of the older community and help support
1: them? Or what? what was sort of the big draw for you? I think for me, the big moment was once I was in the care facility, um, I had a couple of residents that really stole my heart. You know, <laughs> there was um, one woman that just the relationship we formed, It she kind of looked at me like her mom. And I think that relationship was just so special and so different. So I didn't really know. I had never experienced that, you know, and I was I was her person in a lot of ways. And once she was gone, it was really hard for me. I was actually not with her when she passed and that was even harder for me. I realized I really wished that I had been with her and um, my, but before she'd passed my first death was just very, uh, it was so extreme. (laughs) It was so extreme and it could have been traumatizing, but I found it really fascinating. Actually. Um, The gentleman, went from being totally bedbound the whole time I knew him to sprinting around the house. Um, he tried to take his own life at one point. He didn't. Thankfully, I stopped him from doing that. And he passed away that night. And I actually ran into his son in law that night, too. So it was just a lot of a lot of emotions at once and I had to sort of keep my cool the whole time. And I did really well at it. And it was the first time I felt like I was doing really well at something in my life. Like, dang, I did that. Like I helped this guy and I learned a lot in the experience. I got punched in the face in the experience. (laughs) So it was just, it was very extreme, but I think the adrenaline and the feeling of like, we did something for him to take him out of this pain that he was in was really it, it was eye opening, and that's kind of what drew me in at that point. Had you lost a lot of people like at a
0: young age? Like, was death sort of a big part of your childhood? I guess, if that
1: sounds no, actually, you know, while I was in school for my doula course for my certification, I we reflect a lot on when death became a part of our life. And for myself, it did start really young in animals. Um, I had a dog that always brought us gifts of birds and little rodents and things like that. And my dad is very compassionate. And he always wanted to bring the animal back and give it back to the earth. And we would always put it somewhere and celebrate its life afterwards. And it never felt scary ever. You know, if something was happening like that, we knew that there was going to be something beautiful that came out of it, too. Um, and then we lost a lot of pets and, and I don't know, it never, never really people that were super impactful in my life that I lost. Um, I did lose a grandma very young and I've always wished that I had a relationship with a grandparent like that. So I do notice that I am drawn to the elderly in that way. Um, just cause I think I find support in them that a lot of people get from grandparents that I didn't really have. So I do, um, appreciate that a lot. But otherwise, no, death didn't really come into my life until I was an adult at that point. It was kind of weird. A lot of people have like stories where they started really young. And for me, I kind of just fell into it. You
0: don't look like what somebody would imagine a person looks like who works in a death industry. You know, you're bubbly and it looks like you got some highlights. You (laughs) got a outfit on. Like you're not, I like that you're not sort of what i would have envisioned somebody works in the death industry i don't picture yeah. attractive young women working in this industry what do people think uh what are what are some reactions when you say you you're a death doula or end of life companion
1: the first reaction i get is is what is that and that that's super morbid so i get a lot of like wow it's very morbid most people don't want to talk about it because it okay. just scares them i think um, and then the people that do want to talk about it have like a billion questions and really want to know how I got into it mostly and what it is exactly. Um, a lot of people don't talk about that. So as soon as I like drop the D word, it's like the conversation starts normally. <laughs> people are really curious about it. And nobody really normally says anything about my age. Mostly Uber drivers <laughs> that are asking me about it will say something uh-huh gotta love
0: those uber driver conversations yeah i think i think it is um well there's a lot of i i wish that we talked about death more because Mm -hmm. it can feel so scary um and so final and um you know it feels taboo to talk about it and i i've learned from my experience the more you talk about something that can be uncomfortable or Mm -hmm. frightening the easier it is to sort of wrap your head around it um what what is the process for somebody to hire you so it could be like let's say you get a terminal diagnosis, they can Mm -hmm. reach out to you or a loved one has a terminal diagnosis the family member reaches out to you Mm -hmm. and then,
1: yeah, I have a website that people can go on to and there's like a, you know, you can book a consultation through the website or you can just reach out to me um, through my Instagram. A lot of, most of my people right now are reaching out through Instagram. Um, I personally do a lot of like visiting care homes. Okay. if, if I can actually interact with people, my personality and being bubbly and charming and young is actually normally what people want to hire me for. Um, it's funner to have a companion that wants to interact with you the whole time and like do things and is curious about it. And I think me being young is refreshing sometimes, especially for people that are in their older age, which normally my clients are in their old age. Um, not always. I've had a few where I've written like obituaries for families who've lost somebody traumatically that was young and they just had to find the right words because of how the situation happened. Um, So I'll write their obituaries or I'll sit down with them, things like that. But yeah, for the most part it's right now people that are curious about their own death. Mm. So people will, I host like death dinners and grief dinners. um, Little like, yeah, little thing where people can get in touch with me via Zoom and we'll have like a group get on board and everybody will talk about their advanced directive and plan their plan their end of life stuff so that, you know, I, I'm at an age now where I have a lot of friends that are having kids. So they're very curious about all of this. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, having children puts your life into perspective a lot and you worry so much about what's gonna happen if I'm gone now, I have this huge responsibility and I need to make sure they're okay. So I think having an advanced directive, a living will, all of these things written out can be really comforting for new parents, especially. So it's a lot of friends that reach out right now that are like, hey, my husband and I or my wife and I or my partner and I need to sit down and talk to you about this because we don't know what we're doing. And then just to be clear, in case somebody
0: doesn't know the term advanced directive, that's um, you appoint somebody to handle all of your, I guess, paperwork your estate planning things like that right it's like if so I if die my husband is my advance directive so he can he knows all my final wishes right
1: right so you can we actually normally suggest that you don't assign a spouse to it Oh, okay uh, just because if something were to happen to you the emotional trauma from that could be hard for them to make the decisions that you would want them to make they're going to start making decisions that they would want made okay just because it's based out of their emotions instead of out of your advance directive. Right. So, which is also why it's nice to have a doula on your team because the doula can be the person that can be that guiding light and say like, Hey, let's be sure that we're following what this person actually was for. But yeah, so an events directive is um, you can appoint a person. You can also assign items to people, things like that. It's sort of like a living will mm-hmm. um, and you can go through it again and get it renotarized and get it all redone again, if you ever needed to. So if you change the person that is currently your healthcare agent or proxy, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, if you change your mind on that person, you can go back and change it again. So it's not permanent. How many patients do you lose a week? So not not like that, actually. It's not really, it's like, um, I guess before, when I was working in care homes more often, like pre COVID, especially, it was more often. And I would say it was like a couple of months at that point. Um, right now, because most of my clients are people that are just curious about their debts, it's families of people that have recently passed to something related to the pandemic or related to something that just happened through the pandemic and they didn't have a chance to celebrate their life. Or um, maybe they just weren't able to actually go through their belongings and stuff. So I'll sit with them and go through all of that it's it's more of the after death stuff right now um but i'd say overall i've had a couple hundred in my time wow okay
0: you've helped a couple hundred people transition and now how do you how do you cope with that like how do you i mean yeah what do you do to sort of not carry so much of the weight of other people's sadness
1: so now that i'm a doula, I feel like I have the tools to really um, cope with it better. Um, when I was working in care facilities as a caregiver, too, it was harder because you're always moving. So there's really no option for you but to go on to the next client. So, you know, you just don't have that opportunity. I would say out of all of the people that have passed away in my care, I've been invited to three funerals, and I've gone to one. So um, people don't consider you as part of the grieving when that person passes oftentimes so you find a lot of support in other people that are caregivers and other doulas other death workers normally right now i preach self-care and self-love to everyone do it feels right to you in the moment that it feels right um life is short that's something that i've really learned from working in death so i think i appreciate life a lot more now I'm like almost annoying about it. I love life. I think everything's just so beautiful and wonderful all the time. And I think it's because I see so much death. So I just appreciate it all differently. And I appreciate those experiences with those people differently because I've met people that their families never met, you know, especially if they have like dementia or Alzheimer's or some kind of memory issue, you are getting this raw version of somebody and they don't know you. So they're honest with you, you know, they're, they have no other reason not to be. So it's, <laughs> there's no reason not to be at all. So you're just getting this beautiful experience with someone. And I just learned to appreciate it more than be sad about it. Sometimes I'll be sad about it when I see like photos of us together, um, snapshot memories really likes to remind me of the people that I've lost. Um, but you know their families stay in touch which is nice too um and there's places we can go visit to see them especially here in Seattle a lot of my clients are in museums and stuff now their belongings are or history about them is so I can go and visit them and listen to their voices again and watch videos of them and stuff and learn about them even more
0: Wow. Yeah. When my mom passed away, we had somebody who acted similarly to a death doula, and it was really comforting, really, really comforting. Because she sort of she prepared us for what was going to come. She prepared my mom for the um, the medication that she was going to be on to make sure she wasn't in any pain, which can be overwhelming. Like if you don't even know your way around a hospital to like know where to go and know what to do, and and she helped us just really me and my brother and sister, I feel like she prepared us for what was going to happen and what to expect so that we weren't caught off guard. And I really valued that and and absolutely appreciated what she did. But I'm sure in your world, you're dealing with families that just lost a kid or mm-hmm. a spouse or a sibling. I mean, what do you say to them and what do
1: you not say to them? I think those are some interesting things to think about for anybody listening Um, A long time ago, I actually listened to a podcast that Stephen Jenkinson, he's the author of Die Wise, he was a guest on, and he was talking about an experience he had with a client who was losing a child that was seven years old, and the family was taking it a lot harder than the kid was, Mm -hmm. and they kept saying, she has no idea she's dying, she has no idea what's happening, like, you know, freaking out, so he just sat the parents down, and he said, why do you think she doesn't know, because you haven't told her? Like, do you think that's why? Because kids are very observant. So they're listening at all times, which she probably knows. And they were worried about what she was going to miss out on. They kept saying, you know, she has so much potential and this isn't what we expected for her life and things like that. Um, so he said, well, what, did, what do you mean by that? And they were like, well, she's not going to live a full life. And he said, well, what do you mean by a full life? Um, like marriage and kids and all of that—is that what you mean? Because to a seven-year-old, she's probably lived a very full life. And by you saying that she didn't, you're taking away from the experience she did have. Um, so he went and talked to the seven-year-old for them, and he was like, "What's going on? How are you feeling?" And she said, "I think my parents don't think that I know I'm dying." <laughs> she's like, "I know. I know that I'm dying." And he was like, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think you're right about that. Um, they're afraid you, you haven't lived a full life. And the kid literally asked him, what does that mean? And he said, um, do you, you know, I don't know. They just want to know if you've lived a full life. Like, you know, did you experience things? So she started off with a story about how she fell off a horse. And, you know, he goes, okay, well, tell me something else. Cause we need to co- at least three things, you know? And she, he goes, don't say you got back on it because that's a cliche. Like they're gonna, they're not gonna listen to that. And she's like, well, one time, um, this boy that I've loved forever kissed me on the cheek at school, and she's like, it was just amazing, you know. And sh- she was telling him about this crush she had and this boy that she's loved forever. The word forever was used. So he told his her parents, and of course, they broke down and cried. And the story like has stuck with me for so long because. I realized how unfair it is of us to have expectations of anyone, especially people that are passing away, but it's unfair of us to expect, especially our kids to turn out like anything in particular. They're their own people. Life is out of our control. Death is especially out of our control. And it's unfair of us to say that something was taken away from them when it's really being taken away from us because they still got to experience a lot. And they probably are already feeling like they're missing out on things. And it's mostly going to be that they're missing out on your experiences and experiencing them with you. So it put a lot into perspective for me. And then actually last year I lost a friend um, that was really close with her sister and her siblings. And I remember talking to her mom and I thought back to this and I just was like, don't say the wrong thing. You know, don't tell her that she had so much potential. That's not the right thing. That's not what she needs to be hearing right now. She needs to be hearing that she had a beautiful life and that she was wonderful and, and that's what she needs to hear. So I try to live really in the moment with people instead of thinking about the future or the past. Um, I, I, in the past, in the sense of like what they could have done differently and stuff like that, we try and live in like the, the present and the moments that we get to have an experience with each other because those are what's real you know, and that's what we're really grieving. And it's not fair to ourselves to grieve something that never happened anyways.
0: Yeah. Wow. Perfectly said. I think that's, I, it's, I'm trying not to like cry myself because <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I just, I'm such an emotional person. I I'm in awe of what you do and how well you handle it because I hear a kid dying and I just, Go to such a sad place, but it's so important to hear the words that you just said, that you have to think about the life that they've had in the present moment and not focus on the future and what they're going to miss out on. My mom used to say that all the time, too, on her Mm -hmm. deathbed. Like, don't think about what I'm missing out on. Think about all the fun things we've had. Sorry, because I should come with a warning label. No, 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 no. (laughs) Actually, I really respect what you do. And I think it's so important to hear those words that you said of focusing on what somebody has already had and really living in the present. When my mom was sick, she just reminded me and my siblings and everybody around her all the time of all of the wonderful memories she did have with us and to really not get caught in what we are going to miss out on. And I think that's, I just want those words to like really sit with people because I think they're important. I think now more than ever, people are feeling grief in all kinds of ways, even grief of, you know, the life that we used to have, even if it's not that they Missed lost. opportunities, yeah. Missed opportunities. And I think just that idea of gratitude, right? What does that mean? It's thinking and being grateful for all the things you do have, which is mm-hmm. really hard when you feel like you're drowning and people are dying and you have no control. But as you mentioned earlier, you never have control of death. And yeah. I guess talking about that and being reminded of that is important because, you know, if it, inspires you to live more in the moment and be present and do the things you've always wanted to do, then that's a great takeaway when talking about death. Um, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on the afterlife since you do, you're around so much death. So what do you think happens next? I mean, you must have a unique perspective more
1: so than an average person like me. So um, I, try not to get too into the topic, especially while working with clients. Um, But I would love to think that after I die, I'll have a chance to see all my people that I've worked with again and tell them about what I experienced in my life. I would like to think that My spirit will go on. I think that the you part leaves your body personally. Um, One of the questions I actually ask when working with a client is, do you believe that your soul and your body are one? Uh, This is often going to tell me where their religion is um, and how they want to be disposed of after they're gone. If you believe that your soul and body are one, there's a good chance you want to be buried. Right. So I you know, I, I personally don't believe that my soul and my body are one. I think that that's because I live with a lot of chronic pain. So, and I have such a vibrant personality. So it's hard for me to think that these are connected in any way. (laughs) I like to think that the me part will go on from this life in some way. Um, for a little bit, at least my dad used to tell me that, our energies come from the stars and they're gonna go back to the stars. And I can even pick a planet if I wanted to and become a god. And he was he's very like eccentric with his thoughts. My mom's a little bit more like Jesus is watching you, make sure that you're okay. So so I was raised with two very like <laughs> different opinions, and they wanted us to kind of figure it out for our own. So I think seeing so much depth, it's just made me feel like the you part's gotta go somewhere. I don't necessarily know if there's like one place in particular, but I think your energy has has to go into something again. Plus, I have experienced so many just spooky things after losing people. I know they're about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What kind of like spooky quote unquote or signs from the afterlife do you feel like you've gotten? Because maybe you have been more exposed to death. Not maybe. Because you have been more exposed to death.
1: So um, I see it a lot in clients, especially in care facilities. First, Um, people will tell me that other people are watching me or looking out for me. They'll tell me that I have visitors that somebody's hanging out. Um, So I've gotten that a lot. But I've also had a client that told me that they know my future kid really well so and they've told me his name and what he looks like and everything I I know so if I ever I know that if I ever have a son one day and if he looks this way I know that this client was not messing with me he said his sister takes care of him on the other side (laughs) I was like this is so wild but and that was when I was in the very first care facility so it was really you know stuck with me but um I had a client pass away about two years ago and I saw her um as she was passing, I was really lucky because I actually stopped working with her temporarily. So I was really glad that I got to see her as she was passing. Um, she had... Oh, I'm going to get emotional talking about her a little bit. Oh, hey, I already cried once. <laughs> actually, quite um, so You're up. It's <laughs> my turn. Her and I were very, very close. I mean, lunch every day close. I had a timer set to pick her up at a certain time because I just loved her. I loved her so much. And she thought she was just the worst the reason we did lunch every day was because she refused to eat because she thought nobody wanted to sit with her and she thought she was ugly because she was losing her hair and she couldn't see anymore and she didn't know what she looked like because she couldn't see anymore so there was just so many things that were she was so sweet and like I knew that that wasn't her personality though like I was like I see your room I see these this like life that you've lived you're wild. Let me like, tell me about it, you know? And she wanted to talk about it. So she told me all about her life all the time and she would always encourage me to just do what I want. You know, she, every time I would see her, she'd go, go to Thailand for four weeks and stay for four years. Okay, honey. (laughs) I'd be like, okay. But she had a specific room number and her room number uh, would ding in a little charm in my ear. You know, those life alerts that people wear, those she could press that and it would tell me, so she'd press her little button and it would tell me that she needed something. And it was always her room number and her name. And now when I'm really upset or really needing something, I'll be like, gotta give me a sign girl. And I will see her room number somewhere right. And I'm like, all over the place now. And I know that it's her and like little things that will happen. I'm like, I know that's her. I know that that's her leaving me little signs. Wow. So, especially I like, she's very obvious with hers. <laughs> But yeah, the the spooky times in care facilities, especially wild. I bet. I
0: I like to think similarly to you that our energy continues, that our soul continues, and that we just needed to get rid of the body that no longer serves us anymore. Mm -hmm. And I really, I mean, I didn't grow up with religion. I actually grew up with multiple different perspectives on both sides of my mom and dad, totally different perspectives. Um, and I felt like what works for me, what made sense was just thinking about energy transferring into a different form and I'm always looking for signs. And I, I don't know, something, and sometimes the sign is just as simple as my mom or loved one that I've lost visiting me in my dream. And I feel like that's my favorite sign.
1: And yeah. like hey, we get to see each other. I actually asked a medium recently about that because I, I mentioned earlier I lost my grandmother when I was like two years old. I was very young. And I have always felt like I missed out on that relationship because the way she's talked about it is like she was just this, that, and everything. She was amazing, you know? And people will tell me, like, oh, you're just like grandma. Like you do you do that all the time. She did that too, you know. And I feel so connected to her in a way. Mm-hmm. But I dream about her weekly I mean routine dreams about her and I have recurring dreams I have I could get into the dream thing on a whole other level that is a whole other reason that I'm into this work but one of the dreams that I have is that I go into this room and my grandma's sitting there on this couch and she brushes my hair and smokes a cigarette and we talk about life and we just catch up And I've had it since I can remember, like since I was a really little kid. So I was talking to a medium recently, because in the death worker world, there's everyone, especially mediums. And a medium was just chatting with me. And she goes, oh, uh, those dreams you keep having, you're not making that up. Because that's really a visit. Appreciate those moments. So I was like, okay, because for me, I always worried that because I love her so much, and I wondered so much I was creating this moment in my head you know so it's kind of confirmation for me that she is visiting I was like that's good I I mean I always knew she was just because of other signs that happened tulips and hummingbirds and things like that but that was a nice little confirmation that like my dreams were a little more real than I was giving them credit for
0: I like that what do your parents and uh, family members and friends think about what you do
1: Mm, so my parents are the most uninvolved involved parents on the planet so they they I don't I think they're very proud of me because I'm doing what I want I don't think that they would care what I did okay yeah so they probably um you know my mom is proud of me but she'll probably be more excited about like this conversation happening than like what I actually do okay (laughs) like she's you know she's very I I don't know explain it they like they like it they don't really care. Um, when I, I, I know what they want at the end of their lives, everything's pretty set in stone there. So that was what I, you know, I got my bases covered on my end. (laughs) So if they don't want to talk about it otherwise, that's fine. My mom has really no interest. I tried to tell her about it one day. and She goes, cool. You know, I took the dogs on a hike the other day. I mean, you know, my siblings, I am number three of five. So just a ton of us and I have mostly sisters and one brother He's the youngest. And um the siblings are kind of all over the maps with it. They're all super proud. They all really love it. They think it's exciting and fascinating. Um not all of them want to talk about it necessarily because it's death and it's death-related and it's tough. And they all have different religious backgrounds too. So that plays a big part into the conversations we're having also. Um, But for the most part, I think family is into it. They all seem to be, I've become the like family caretaker, you know, if somebody needs something, they hit me up. (laughs) So they seem to like that. (laughs) I'm reliable. What are some good like takeaway things that
0: anybody listening should do to prepare for their death no matter their age or level of health like what should people do get an advanced directive
1: is that what it's called is that how you would say yes. it? an advanced get an advanced directive absolutely assign a health care agent um for a long time I had a friend of mine doing it I actually just recently switched it just because our relationships have changed a little bit over the years and um I remember all my siblings kind of giving me a look like hello me like I'm here but their personalities I need I need somebody to do exactly what I want you guys are gonna pick what you want you know so definitely assign someone that you trust will do what you want and they won't let their emotional their connection to you get in the way of your decision they love you enough to respect your choice right you know that kind of thing um, that really is like the most important especially for somebody that's really young is if you have a lot of um, assets especially financial assets, really look into creating like a living will, assigning a financial proxy as well would be a good idea somebody that's um, able to access your bank accounts after you're gone you can go tell your bank who you want to do that right away um, and make sure that the people that are in charge of that know that they're in charge of that stuff right, 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 okay so that they know who to reach out to and stuff like that when they need to Um, fun ones would be to touch on the dinner, the grief dinners and the death dinners that I do. A death dinner is normally when I have a bunch of people get together and everybody plans their funeral. So, you know, you write out songs for your funeral playlist. You pick what food you want, what you want people to wear, what you want to wear. If you want makeup done, how you want your body disposed of afterwards, (laughs) we plan your whole like end of life care thing basically. And it's fun and it's over drinks and dinner, you know? So I always just tell people, try to make it fun. It's I've lost a lot of people that are my age too and friends. And I remember thinking like, Oh, that's not really what they would have wanted, but like I who am I to get involved? You know, that kind of thing. But now I now I feel like I'm in a place where I'm like, Oh, well, maybe you should get involved. And that is that's the last way you're honoring somebody and you're honoring their memory and their life. You should do it enough to like really represent them in the right ways. That's great advice. I feel really lucky. And I think my brother and sister
0: can speak to this too, even though they're not going to speak to this on this podcast, but I think I can speak for them when I say that we had such clear, specific instructions from our mom before she passed and it was really helpful. And I know in my bones, we gave her the send off that she would have 100% wanted. And she was really specific down to the playlist she wanted, um, mm-hmm. the, the type of it, like vibe she wanted, what she wanted people to wear, that she really wanted a celebration of her life because her life was so big and exciting. She wanted her for lack of a better word, life celebration or send off party or whatever you want to call it to be a reflection of the life she lived, which was fun yeah. and exciting and 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 um, loud and big and, and you know, things that reflected her. And I I was so appreciative that we had had so many conversations about that leading up to it. And I'm glad that she wasn't, uh, you know, shy about telling us. Mm -hmm. because it's you know all these things that you're doing to prepare for your own death are really for the people that you leave behind they're not I mean yes sure they're for you but
1: you're dead yeah I mean and it does help with like your death anxiety and whatever anxiety you have around leaving people behind but you're right it is for the people you're leaving behind you know yeah Yeah. the stress off their plate and give them a chance and space to actually grieve without having to prepare things at the same time
0: what are people's final moments like I imagine you said you're in the room with a lot of people, right? As they're like, yeah. transitioning, what does that look like? What does that feel like?
1: So for the most part, um, very similar. There is this thing called VSED; It's voluntary stopping of eating and drinking. And um, that, that tends to be the way a lot of people go. Actually, most people are really surprised to hear that, but you don't have any desire to eat towards the end of your life. So a lot of people will choose that method and you're put on a lot of pain management medication at that point. Um, you spend a lot of time in bed listening to music. Your hearing is the last of your senses to leave. So I encourage people to talk to people, to read books, um, prayers, if that's what they need, you know, whatever whatever sort of sound will be helpful. Um, that kind of keeps people in like a good headspace normally. But for the most part, it's been very peaceful. I've had a few that were stand out in a couple of different ways. There was, um, one, we just couldn't manage her pain. And I remember trying to figure out why, I mean, caregivers were coming out of that room sobbing because we could not figure out how to help this woman. And she started to, I, I remember going through her care plan and we do life reviews, um, where people write about their lives before they come into the facility or before they come into like my work as a client or like as one of my clients, um, if they write normally about themselves. And you know, reading it, I was noticing that she didn't see some of her kids for a while, it had been a long time. And I thought just randomly maybe we should try and get a hold of her kids, like maybe that's what will help her move on. And they actually were able to get a hold of her kids and when her kids arrived, she passed away 2 hours after they had arrived and it was like she had no pain anymore at that point. So she was trying to express something to us and had no way to express it because she didn't have those, you know, those skills anymore. She had no verbal skills anymore. So she wasn't able to use that. Um, but she could tell us in other ways <laughs> for sure. So that was a really hard one. Um, I had one woman that I was laying in her bed with her and talking to her daughter and she kept telling me she was tired. And I was like, go to bed. You can go to sleep. And she goes, no, I'm tired. Like I'm tired. And I was like, okay. I get what you're saying. That's up to you. You know, we're all here when you're ready. And she just fell asleep. And I got out of the bed and I went and helped her daughter with something. And we realized she had died and that she wasn't actually asleep. And it was really just peaceful and quiet. And so it's interesting how people sometimes need permission is something I really noticed. Um, I had one woman that was laughing when she passed away and her son asked us not to change anything about her expression he was still smiling and like looks so beautiful. And he goes, we were just laughing about something. And then he was done because I was like, yeah, it's, it's hard. But, um, but I think the end is normally really peaceful. I've noticed there's not a lot of, there's not a lot happening normally. It's very quiet and, I spent a lot of time dancing with people, you know, moving their arms and trying to keep music going, singing, horrible singer. So I feel so bad. I'm going to owe people apologies in the next life. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> bad. But it keeps people, you can see people light up when you do it. So, you know, I think that, um, yeah, for the most part, it's really peaceful and it's all pretty similar from what I've noticed, at least, you know, when you're in care. Um, the ones that I've worked with after they're gone, you know, it's a little bit different and their families will explain what had happened or how it happened. And, and there's normally some kind of temporary care that happens in between, but it can be a little bit more extreme. Right. Um, And those are just unfortunate, you know, really, really bad tragedies normally, but yeah, once you're in my care, you're normally resting. (laughs) I mean, it sounds so nice
0: to go out that way. Right. Mm-hmm. music and dance and song, as opposed to an accident, of course, like you said, right. What are some common misconceptions about your line of work?
1: Mm. I think right now it would be, there's like a big misconception that like doulas and the funeral industry have some kind of like beef with each other a little bit. Oh, Really? yeah okay <laughs> so it's like holistic healthcare versus i don't know like home funerals versus in you know okay first funerals i don't really know that's really starting to we're starting to break that barrier down a lot because we're realizing we need each other mm-hmm. and we can work with each other really well if you don't have to strictly do home funerals i can also help somebody and lead them to a funeral guide that will help them plan their funeral in an, you know in that direction too Um, I think, you know, we're starting to realize that that's more available too. a lot of people think that becoming a doula takes a lot of work and it actually doesn't. I took one class. It was super easy. It was, um, just a few months of my life and I got certified at the end of it. And there actually is no legal certification necessary. So you don't even really have to do that. It's, um, a lot like being a consultant and it just comes with experience and what you're comfortable doing. There's also a lot of rules. So, for example, I cannot clean a body myself, but I can teach a family how to clean a body. So if the family member is willing to watch and help, then that's allowed. But otherwise, I'm not allowed to do it on my own. Like, there's rules like that. So I think sometimes families will assume that I'll do all of that stuff too, and I can. not And then you have to kind of explain, like, if you want this style of funeral and this style of -of end-of-life care, you got to put a little work in too, you know, it's a little bit of more, it's a more intimate in a lot of ways. Okay. Last question. What do you want people to know about you? Um, that as much as I talk about death and I watch it happen, I help it happen. Oftentimes I love life so much and what I do as an end of life doula, is strictly to help people enjoy the rest of their lives as best they can. Um, if I can work people, if I can work with people and catch them long before they're gone, that's even better because I feel like we can really impact people once they're young and they feel prepared for their death. Because then you start to look at life differently. You know, you're not as afraid of what's coming. So I think that you know, I just want people to know that. I'm not scary. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not somebody that's super, super morbid and I'm not encouraging people to die in any way. I'm encouraging people to really enjoy the life that they've got while they've got it. You are
0: a wonderful addition to this planet. You are so bubbly and fabulous. And so if I come to Seattle, can I go to one of your dinner parties then? Oh, absolutely. I would love to have you. <laughs> a dream scenario would be to, to do this conversation with in a camera in person <laughs> yes. in Seattle. I love Seattle. I've only been there once, but I loved it so much. And then to sit around and everybody plan their funeral. I mean, it sounds fun.
1: I'll let you know when we have them coming up. We have, uh, I have some death dinners coming and I have a grief dinner coming and grief dinner is where we get to celebrate a life that we don't feel like we got to fully celebrate.
0: Oh, wow. That is so cool. Cause then you're just surrounded by other people that are kind of grieving as well.
1: Totally in the same headspace, yeah. And you can, you can assign it to, like, a family can hire me, and we'll just do it for your family. Um, but I also host them for random people to sign up for as well. So, like, friends can sign up for it or singles, whoever. Wait,
0: this is so cool. I've never heard of this before, and it seems like a really cool way to grieve with people that are also grieving, that really yeah. understand what you're going through. Like if it was a bunch of people that like in my case, like lost their mom and we Mm -hmm. can all sit around and cry and eat and drink and talk about how cool our moms are. Like I would be really into that.
1: Yeah, totally. We have them. I've even done some, like I have one that I'm planning that's going to be for people that have lost pets. Okay. Pet activities. um, There's some that are going to be for people that have lost people to tragedy or tragic events um, and people that are still experiencing some trauma. So ones that have a harder time talking about it, you know, I want people to feel like they're in their element when they're with people. Okay, I lied, I have one more question.
0: Do you see doing this work, like, is this, is this your calling? Is this what you wanna do for the foreseeable future?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would love, right now, this is what I do. I'm building this as a business and I'm trying to do this full time as best as I can. Um, I'm really lucky that the rest of the world is also trying to figure out their lives again right now. So I don't feel like I'm running behind in any way. I used to put pressure on myself to like keep up with society and stuff like that. And I'm really just enjoying this time that I have right now. Again, here's me trying to turn some negative stuff into something positive. I'm really enjoying this time that I've been given by the world to reevaluate what I want with my life and how to do it. So for now, I've really been loving this and I would love to do this forever if I could. I dream of opening my own nursing homes one day where this is something that's readily available for people full time, but you know, we'll see. Oh, I'm sure you'll get there.
0: I'm sure you will do everything you want to do. I'm so impressed with you. Uh, And I really, really enjoyed this conversation. You had some- words, And I think people are going to get so many good takeaways. Thank you so much for everything you do and for taking time to chat with me.
1: Of course, yeah, it was so nice. It was nice meeting you guys. And if I come to Seattle, which I love Seattle, like I said, I'm going to find you. You should, yeah. It's really, we're a fun time. I have a whole group of death workers. I have a, we have a little rest collective that's in the works right now as well, so. You know, lots of things to keep your eyes peeled for.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. I'm sending you a virtual hug and um, I hope I see you in real life someday.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Mm -hmm, You too. Bye. Bye.